Here at Early Excellence, we specialise in early childhood education. We offer expert advice and guidance through training, consultancy and classroom design. With the Early Excellence podcast, we aim to inspire and support you as well as challenge your thinking. So if that's what you're looking for, you've come to the right place. Hello everybody, Andy Burt here. Welcome along to episode 92 of the Early Excellence podcast. In this week's episode, we're joined by Nikki Turner from the Australia Multi-Academy Trust, which is a trust that we've done lots of work with at Early Excellence. I've done a project just uh, just last year, in fact, uh, with lots of the what, lots of the earliest teachers and practitioners from Australia. And I know that there's also a project going on at the moment in terms of Key Stage One practice as well. So we know Nikki. We know Nikki really well at Early Excellence. Now, Nikki joined us in our new studio at Early Excellence to talk all about developing children's early literacy and early phonics skills as well. We had a really interesting chat. So here you go. Here's my Early Excellence podcast chat with Nikki Turner. I am delighted to say that I'm joined today by uh, Nikki Turner, who is the earliest national lead for the Australia Mat. Um, welcome along, Nikki. Hi, Anthony. Nice to see you. Good to see you. And um, we are here, of course, in our new studio. Um, yes. First, the first recording of the podcast in our new studio. So very exciting. Yes. And we've been here today to look at Key Stage 1 provision, in particular um, provision for Year 1 and how um, that changes from the um, early years. That's right. Yeah, mm. you've you've been working with Nova this morning, haven't you? Yes, it's absolutely and, brilliant. Yeah, had a tour mm. of the new building and mm. all sorts of things. Fantastic. Well, it's it's mm -hmm. great that you're here. So while you were here, I thought mm -hmm. I would catch up with you on something that I know is really close to your heart. Yes. And that is early phonics, or what happens. Yes. I suppose it might be more correct to say what happens before phonics and what happens, kind of in an ongoing way, but that's not necessarily part of a phonics scheme. If you see what I mean. Yes, um, it's all of those skills that you need to be able to access phonics because phonics is a um, really, really important part of the early years. Um, teaching phonics made a massive difference to me in my career. Do you remember when we got pips? Oh, I do. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like um, when, I, when I've chatted to you previously, we can go back through all sorts of almost like different generations of phonics mm. teaching, you know, from... Um, from pips to um, letters and sounds and the different phases yeah. to all kinds of interesting sort of documents that I can remember the Department for Education publishing at, at different points, yes. the literacy strategy, the literacy, out, yes, all of those all of kinds of different things. sorts of things that we both go back yes, over. Yes, and when I first started teaching, like over 25 years ago now, the, we didn't have all of these different mm. schemes. And um, I remember coming out of university mm thinking, how do you teach children to read? <laughs> it's that kind of yeah, that's not sudden, sure how to that do sudden realization, and then yes. you kind of you're like a sponge in your early early first few years yes. of teaching, aren't you? Where you're really picking up all sorts from from more experienced teachers, and also from what you Absolutely. read or the courses that you go on. It's such an interesting yes. time. Yes, and then um, I was lucky enough we got progression in phonics, which yep. was pips, and I think that made a massive difference yes. to my understanding of. Um, teaching children to read, and in, in particular the um, synthetic phonics. 
it did make a difference. Yes. Yeah, it really did. Uh, you know, and then yeah. we got the letters and sounds after Pips, and obviously yeah. things have moved on. Yeah, definitely. Now, but and it's become such difference. a major thing, hasn't it? Major. We're going to talk about all sorts of things as part of our mm. conversation. So we've made a list of things to work through, haven't we? Mm. Um, from listening skills and the importance of listening to story and physical development, which is a bit yeah. of a curveball one that yeah, we put in there. Really uh, but also music and rhythm mm. and rhyme and all kinds of other things as well. So we're going to get on to all of that. Just mm. before we do, um, for, yes. for people who ha haven't met you before or okay. who don't know of your work, tell us yes. a bit, in a nutshell, can you tell us a bit about your work and Ooh. about your background, what right. you do? Okay. Is that all right? Can yes. you do that? So um, I've been teaching in early years for over 25 years, so half of my life has been in early years wow. um, and year one. Yeah. Um, I've worked in a variety of schools from little village schools to large city schools. So lots of experience in lots of different um, like situations. Um, I've worked as local authority advisor for Leicestershire. I've been a children's centre um, teacher as well, um, moderator. Um, and then I've come back into, I've, I still see myself as an early years teacher because I still am in the classroom, but now I'm like leading a team of 18 early years leaders in the classroom. And we are looking at how we can develop our practice to make sure we're doing everything that we can to give children the best possible start of yeah. school. Yeah. And what I think is brilliant as well, was obviously I've worked with Australia a lot over the last couple of years, yes. is what I think is brilliant is that you're very much a, a hands-on leader. Yes. You're somebody who will go into each of the schools. I'm sure you, you, I'm sure you know every early years lead mm. within Australia really well. You know their yes. schools, you know their settings, you know their challenges, yes. you know, their, you know the, the, the catchment area that they serve, you know all of the different things about them. And yep. And also you've worked really well, I think, worked really hard and, and very effectively in terms of going in yourself and, and showing and modelling, you know, modelling what it yes. is that you would do in this situation, modelling what you would do in terms of yes. in terms of early phonics schemes or whatever, you know, phonic skills yes, rather. Yes, and we were just doing all of that, those sorts that of yesterday. Things. So I was in one of our settings at Denby, Maine yes, yesterday yeah. and I was doing coaching um, mentoring for um, yes. one of our teaching assistants. So I'm with the children and we're looking for um, opportunities to facilitate learning and the shared sustained thinking and what it would look like. And you know, in EY, a lot of it is play-based learning and children are choosing where they want to learn. So it's about how to spot those opportunities of when to stand back, when to mm. intervene, yeah. exactly what to do. Yeah. Um, so yeah, really interesting, but I am there in the classroom as a, a teacher mm. working with these yeah. children and then working alongside um, teaching assistants and teachers and early years leads doing all coaching and mentoring. Yes. Yeah. It's very really good. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And you, and I can tell that actually that's something that really kind of fires up your 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 kind of motivation and your you know yeah. your interest is right there in terms yes. of actually on on the ground with the with the children and also with the adults yeah. in the classroom. I need to know what the what the children are like, mm. because, you know, if I um, need, you know, I'm advising people to give the accurate advice, I need to know exactly what's going on in their classroom and to understand the cohorts 
it's got to come from a place of truth, yes. if you know what yeah. I mean. Andy. Yeah, absolutely. People have got mm. to believe that actually what you're saying is something that you believe in mm. and that you would stand by and you would be prepared yes. to do it yourself. I would be doing you that. I mean? I will not tell anybody anything that I wouldn't do myself yeah. and couldn't do myself. Yeah. And the proof is in like the pudding that I'm in there in the classrooms. Yeah, definitely. There's a real honesty there, I think. Yeah. I think that's and important. And sometimes things don't work. Yeah, yeah, definitely. No, absolutely. It doesn't. You know, when you work with your yeah. children, actually, you know, sometimes mm. the best laid plans, you know, mm. end up all over the place, don't they? Yeah. And yeah, we all get that. Yeah, no, um, it's good. I like being in the classroom because yeah. that's what I'm about. I yeah. am an early years teacher. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Um, and then you mentioned that you've done some work recently with the Department for Education. Uh -huh. So you are, of course, the national lead and yes. you have very much taken it to a national level because yes. you've been working with yes. the Department for Education. I have. Exciting stuff. Tell us about really it. Really exciting stuff. So I was asked to present a Foundation Years Live event um, in Birmingham. So there was myself presenting Ofsted and the DFE, so I was like <laughs> quite daunting, I but I thought I'm going to do it. So I did a presentation all about um, what comes before phonics. Mm -hmm. um, and from that, um, the presentation was really well received and I was asked to write a blog. So I've done that and that will be published soon. Um, and then so um, my presentation can be accessed uh, more widely. I've also done a vodcast and that will be published soon. So there's, yeah. I've done so it. Watch this just, space. So watch yeah. this space. There's a all lot sorts to come. Brilliant. Out. Which ties in very well, of course, with mm. what we're going to talk about. Yes. Um, so DFE approved. Nikki Turner. Yes, I know. Talking all about phonics. <laughs> okay, so let's dive in mm. then. Okay. okay. So the first thing we need to say, I think, which I think is a really important point, is that whilst we're talking about what comes before phonics, and there's lots, and we're going to mm. cover lots of ground. We are talking about what comes before, but at the same time, that doesn't mean to say it stops when your scheme starts. Mm, absolutely. Because if we do that, then I think there is a real risk that young children will find it increasingly difficult to access the scheme, whatever scheme that might be. Mm. Schemes can be great. They give you a, a really good structure to, to be able to... Um, support your children in terms of developing a range of skills. However, in my experience of a range of different schemes, there are sometimes some gaps. And I think some of the gaps are the things that we're going to be talking about today, really. And it's yes. important that actually, that in a way phonics doesn't just stop when you finish your scheme or the time when, you know, that time when you deliver your, your scheme, mm. whatever, whichever scheme that might be, but that actually you're thinking about it throughout the day as part of that rich, holistic view of what young children need. Yeah. And that's what this is all about, isn't it? It really? is, because the things that we're going to talk about today, um, I, I've been inspired by Ros Bailey, who yes. you will know, yeah, Andy, because she's done work with Early Excellence, sadly no longer no. here. But um, I was really inspired by Ros Bailey's Foundations of Literacy. So um, I was able to put that into practice early on in my career and then do more and more of it and perfect it. And that is um, much of the stuff that we're going to talk about today. And a lot of my work um, in Australia has been about these foundations of literacy, these basics. But um, with the basics, if you keep getting being an expert is getting better and better at those basics. Yeah. I was looking at it from the perspective, because I ride horses, yeah. 
that um, actually for the last like, you know, so many years, I am just working on the basics, but getting really, really good at the basics. Yes. So with this like pre-phonics, which is the foundations of literacy, they're just like basics for um, language development. Yeah. Um, and we just want them to get better and better and better and better and better at basics. And then you become the experts. Absolutely. So it starts at the beginning of, well, actually this starts from birth maybe even actually when you're in the womb all of this basic starts yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. but yeah. um we should carry it on all the way through mm. ey it you don't just do you remember like phase one i do and it's... i think people did phase one for i can't remember how many weeks it would run for it maybe been like a whole mm. term and then phase one stops and then it stops and that's and then my you were point on phase two weren't yeah, you is that i think actually phase one should should really have been something that went kind of underneath everything else mm. that should have been stretched out really because actually so many children need that you know they need those they need the listening skills they need the 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 opportunity to embed those skills properly over time not just to have seen to have done it and then moved on from it mm. so Let's let's get straight into it then. So yes. the first thing that we've put on our list yes. is listening skills. Okay. Yes. So listen, listening skills. Why is this important? Well, okay, as you, a starter, yes. why is it important? This this is one of the foundations of literacy. Because if you are unable to listen, then you're not going to be able to attend to the teacher and learning at school. Yeah. So this is one of the absolute basics you need to learn to listen you need to learn to focus on the person that is talking you need to be able to attend to what they say and also you need to be able to remember what they've said to you so and we need with the listening as well so there's a listening and attention but also with listening there's that sound discrimination and this is, you know, for phonics, we need to be able to discriminate sounds. And some sounds sound really similar. Yes. But we need to be able to discriminate that. Um, so, yeah, learning to listen is really, really important for attention and discrimination. And there's the social listening as well, knowing, taking turns in conversation. Yes. Um, so there's a lot there, isn't there? Oh, it's um, massive. And that is a very mm. good example of something that actually... Adults, teachers within a classroom really need to have, mm. I think, at the back of their mind all of the time. Mm. So, for example, you know, how are we communicating with the children within the classroom? Mm. Are we making sure that we're modelling being a good listener? Yes. As adults within early years classrooms, we're te we tend to be very good at talking. We tend to be mm. very good at using our own voices. And mm -hmm. that's brilliant that we do that. Mm. But we, we're not necessarily always that great at modelling very good listening. Yes. And, and I understand that. And I've been there and I know what that's like. You know, that we've got a million things on, in our heads of all mm. of the things we've got to do and we've got to get done and we're rushing and we're trying to get this and that and done and so on. But it can sometimes have that impact, that negative impact, where actually we don't stop to listen to the response. We, we ask a question but we want the answer very quickly. And if somebody hasn't got the answer quickly, we might move on quite quickly from them. Yes. Or um, we don't give them the, the opportunity to answer in enough depth because we're, at, we're actually trying to be pacey. And pacey can be good, don't get me wrong, but it can also at times, I think, 
I think, get in the way of the quality of responses. Mm. So I do think we have to be quite careful. Yes. Does that make sense? It does make sense. We do because we are teaching the children and children learn not just from what we say but from watching us. They learn a lot through watching us. Mm. So we need to be modelling those um, great listening skills. And I think what's important for an early years environment, because they're busy, aren't they? And there's yes. lots of these resources. And often an early years environment can be quite noisy. Yeah. And if you're a child that finds it difficult to hear foreground against background sound, when people are talking to you or you're in like your adult-led little um teaching bit and everything else is kind of like buzzy around you that's really difficult for you yes. to tune in to whoever is talking what you need to listen to if you are somebody who finds it difficult to discriminate foreground against background so we need to teach that we need to set opportunities up for children to learn how to do it it's a skill that we can learn yes and you know yeah. ey classrooms they are noisy, yeah. especially if you're one of the, we've got high ceilings. And you know, a lot of our settings yeah, have got high ceilings. Yeah, and sound bouncing around sound, is a common thing, isn't it? Yeah, so we need to look at how we can, um, you know, we want our EY to be busy. Children are doing of stuff. Course. Yeah, yeah, of course. But even with children talking, it creates like this buzz and it can become very difficult for children to, to hear. So we need to look at um, how we can reduce noise in our classrooms through like soft furnishings, yes. creating little, you know, pockets for children to go in, places to learn that's got barriers. Yes. So we're reducing sound um, yeah, absolutely. pollution. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. <laughs> but also thinking about areas of which areas of provision you might have where mm. and how you might deaden sound. Yes. So you know, maybe using rugs or using soft yes. furnishings, but also thinking about, well, actually, do we need to have this the noisier block area perhaps if it's if it's a noisy space do we need to have that near to where the book area is or mm. do we need to have it near to where another area is that it actually is quieter mm. and is it more is it more effective to to pair areas up mm -hmm. where actually we're looking at having quiet slightly quieter spaces together yes. really yeah. which isn't always possible mm. it can be quite restricting you know an earlier space can be quite restricting sometimes yes. but if possible, I think it's certainly worth looking at. Yeah. Um, yes, and sound discrimination. That's right, yeah. And this has to be taught. Um, all of this needs to happen, yeah. has to be taught, and it doesn't happen by kind of like osmosis. You need to be really aware of, of this. Is or, You know, the Ros yes. Bailey's book, Foundations of Literacy, it's all in there. That, that book really helped me. It has to be taught. So sound discrimination, things like... You know, listening, learn, you know, listening walks, tuning into different sounds. One of the ones I remember that we, we did um, mindfulness and stilling. So we're lying there and we're being really silent. No one's talking, but then you can hear dripping tap or you hear a lorry go past outside or you can hear the cheep of the, you know, the birds. You can hear all of these things that normally you're not tuning into and discriminating it. Oh, that's. That's Mrs. Broughton running the tap. Oh, that's the, you know, yeah. he's just gone to the toilet and flushed the, you know, <laughs> flushed the chain. That's that sound of water and that's a different sound of water. Discriminating. Oh, that's the, that's the washing machine that's on. And that's the, you know, that's the hum of the, the fridge. Yeah, and it's, just discriminating all that, against all of these sounds. That's an aeroplane that's gone over. That's a helicopter. 
and learning to tell the difference between these sounds. Yes. Because if we want children to discriminate against, um, you know, they need to be able to discriminate against, you know, other sounds. running water yeah. and jumping tap. <laughs> Absolutely. Or the washing machine Absolutely. and the dishwasher. Yeah, yeah. These yeah, different this has to be taught and it has to be set up and you need to provide the opportunities for it. You so you've got to be aware that sound discrimination is a skill that children need. If phonics is, you know, I've had great success with phonics. It's really important. Um, if we want children to, to be able to access it, then we need to make sure that mm. we're teaching the skills that they need to be able to be successful at Definitely. school. Not yeah. just in phonics, but it's for everything, really, it is, isn't really. it? Yeah, I mean, there were a couple of things that that, made, that you made me think of there. The first is that there's a brilliant poem by Roger McGough um, called The Sound Collector, yes. which is brilliant. And that kind of, um, it's about somebody somebody kind of creeping in and collecting all the sounds and taking them away. Mm. And it, 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 within the poem goes through a list of all of the sounds. You know, the, the, I think it was the, the ticking of the clock and the, yes. the kind of the, the, bub the bubbling of the, of the water or something like that within in the kettle or all kinds of different sorts of sounds yes. that are collected yes. and that you can then use that as a starting point for going off and collecting your sounds from around the oh, school, be, be which nice. is a really good one. They're lovely. And in sound discrimination as well, words that sound, not just sounds yeah. that sound yes, similar, similar sounds. different, yeah. but words as well. So we might have, um, you know, like a collection of objects. You've got like a bat, a cat and a hat that <laughs> they sound yes. similar, but there's something different about them as well. And for children to be able to hear what is the same and hear what is different, yeah. that's really important. This is an important skill for phonics. Mm. You need to be able to discriminate yeah. similarities, differences in sounds and in words. Yes. And we need to teach this. And yeah. there'll be all sorts of lovely games, lovely fun things. games yeah, that yeah. we can play with so children. Things to do like, this. I was just thinking as well, musical instruments. You know, things mm. like uh, having two musical instruments that might sound, might, you might start off with them sounding very different. So mm. two completely different sounds, having them say behind your back, uh, having, having, having uh, played an instrument to the children, you know, maybe a tambourine and a bell, then having them behind your back and then say, right, which one am I now going to play mm. and which one is it, having just played it? Can they tell yes. which one it is? Can they remember which which yes. which of the instruments yes. makes which, which one sound? is it? Which one am I yeah. making the sound? And then for? making it a slightly more difficult difficult over time. So having two instruments or two things that sound very similar, and can we mm. still differentiate between the two? Mm. Really simple games, really simple sorts of things to play that you can take turns with and get the children involved in it, but at the same time really important in terms of those early phonic skills because as you say if they can't differentiate actual sounds then actually they'll find it very difficult when it comes to introducing letter sounds Absolutely. and differentiating between those letter yes. sounds when they're listening for them within words yes. so yeah really important stuff yes and the way that um our hearing develops with like you know left ear dominance right ear dominance and actually we forget because you know, we probably weren't even aware of it when yeah. we were, you know, like no, four and five, yeah. how our hearing is developed. 
that we need to be making sure that we're doing all of these developmentally correct activities mm. that's going to support children to be ready yes. to access the phonics because it is a big part of school. Mm. And what we're talking about today, Andy, is very important for you know nursery. They need to be Absolutely. doing all of this yeah. in nursery yeah. to make sure that children yeah. have had every possible opportunity to be ready for yeah. the next stage in their education. Right. See, and I often find that when I work with nurseries, particularly in the sort of the final term before those children go to school, mm -hmm. often there's pressure, I think, or certainly teachers or practitioners feel pressure to kind of get them ready for school by doing, by introducing letter sounds earlier. Mm. Whereas I personally, my feeling is that actually I would personally much prefer it if people did much more of this, of what we're talking yes. about today, of, the, of those really strong foundations for literacy, mm. rather than starting the phonics, the, the kind Trying of the more, slightly more formal phonics earlier. Mm. Because I think actually, if you get all of these things in place, if you get the foundations right, particularly for nursery, young, nursery children, actually when they start in school, start in reception, and they start that, that process of, le of learning through more, slightly more formal phonics, mm -hmm. they will absolutely fly with it. But yes. if they haven't got all of these things in place, they will find it really difficult. They will. I've got a little saying that I share with my EY uh, teams, and it's make time to take time, and in no time, you save time. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, but it's right though, isn't it's it? It's right. So spend time on these basics, these mm. foundations of literacy. Yeah. Get better and better and better at them. And then you'll find that children... They've got the skills and because we've been following the, you know, developmentally correct way of doing yes. it, the children are then ready and they, it just happens. Yeah. If you try to force stuff too early because we think, oh, the earlier we do this, the more progress children will make. No. But they don't. It can often be very counterproductive. It can I think. be. You know, if we end up mm. doing things with children that they can't actually access yet. Yes, because their because hearing hasn't got developed. That, it's, their it's eyes haven't developed. Yeah. They can't focus near and far away yeah. yet. So, yeah. so I think we do have to be quite wary of that. Mm. Okay. Yeah, so, so learn lots to listen. there on listening. Lots there on listening. Mm. Okay, let's move on to the second point on our mm -hmm. list, and that is story. Okay, so yes. tell us about story. Why is story important? Oh, I mean, yeah, so story should be a big part of early years. And there's, because it's just such a joyful thing, isn't it? it? Is. Storytelling. It so you will have, have seen um, the, the research on um, the number of words children hear, depending on kind of like socioeconomic backgrounds. And, you know, there's lots of out there all about closing the language gap, closing the vocabulary gap. And for children that are coming from homes where a lot of language isn't used, the gap can be huge from those children that have been in homes where there's a lot of talk. To close that language gap, we actually need to be reading and getting children to join in with stories four or five times a day. Mm. And typically... You might just be telling one story a day, but that isn't enough. Children need to hear a lot of vocabulary to close that gap. The recommended amount is four or five stories a day. Yeah. And you can fit it in because I've done it. Yeah. 
Exactly, which goes back yeah. to what we were saying earlier on. I know that you've done it. Done it. You know, and, and mm. it's about that, kind of, I suppose, valuing that time of telling stories. So it's not, it's great to share a story at the end of the day, don't mm. get me wrong, but that shouldn't be the only time that we're using story and sharing stories because, mm. because the opportunities are really rich and the opportunities that I think stories provide are not just about literacy skills or not just about um, language. Mm. You know, actually, you know, you can access so much across the whole of the EYFS frameworks, mm. whether we're talking about understanding the world or whether we're talking about personal, social and emotional development mm. and that degree of empathy and, you know, being worried about a character or kind of problem solving or mathematics. There's all sorts that could be accessed through story, oh, of course. Yes. And so they are, it is crucial. It's crucial. And to close that gap, it's four or five stories a day. Yeah. There is um, a DFE um, document and it's got all of the statistics in there yeah. um, about how many words children hear. Um, and to close the gap, they need to be hearing millions of words. And the only way that we can do that is um, making sure that we've got that language rich environment and the, the four or five stories a day. Yes. And in stories, there's vocabulary that you wouldn't use on a day to day. Yeah. In your normal, of course. Like, so that you know. kind of story language, the kind of yes. and how you use it yes. is important for children because, of course, unless they've heard story language and how we might talk about a character or how we might talk about a setting or whatever it might be, mm. actually, they're going to find that very difficult when it comes to telling their own stories. So they need to have that yes. experience, don't they? Absolutely. We want children to have imaginations and to be creative and children have got to go and write their own stories, haven't they? Yeah. <laughs> you know, in yeah. school, that's one of the things they do. But if you've never had that experience of listening to stories and you yeah. don't know how stories work, then where do your ideas come? come from yeah and you know children hear stories and then they take it off into their own play don't they yeah and become these characters and then you've got it in small worlds you've got it in socio-dramatic play you can dress up make props and children then become the characters and then they know what it's like to be that character yeah Absolutely. If you're going to write about the gruffalo then being the gruffalo yeah. is going to give you absolutely and i it's important to say as well that, that this doesn't necessarily mean that you need to, if you're going to share a story, that you need to make big changes to your classroom provision. Mm. So you don't need to suddenly have, you know, if you're reading the Gruffalo, you don't need to have lots and lots of different Gruffalo enhancements around your room. Mm. I would always say if you've read a story well and you're really engaged with the children and you've got them really enjoying it, then actually your children will go off and they will find ways of interacting with that story and using their imaginations mm. you don't need to set up an, an enhancement specifically for it does it, does it want to yes, mean because they go outside and i think we it. can turn ourselves kind of we can end up sort of um kind of overdoing things sometimes and over planning things and 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 making too many changes mm. within an environment yeah i think actually if you've got open-ended materials within your room if you've got go as many open-ended things as possible, the children will use them. Yes. You know, in your for different stories, box, won't they? Instead of having the actual costumes, yeah. if you've then got fabrics, then those fabrics can be anything, can't they? Absolutely. So, yeah. you know, um, if you've got some grey fabric, it could be a wolf. 
it could, you know, it could yeah. be anything, couldn't it? It could yeah, be a fair, anything. It yeah. could be anything. Um, a superhero's cape, anything. So, yes, keeping it simple and having stuff that you can adapt. But story, it's it's huge. It has to be a massive part of EY. It um, builds vocabulary. Also, children understanding how stories work, story language, and you know how stories have got like that rhythm. Yeah. I'm just thinking about yeah. like the Lindley Dodd story, yeah. you know, the Slinky Malinkies, yes. and, and that rhythm to it. It's great. Absolutely. And it builds up children's um, memory hearing these stories and the same story again and again Andy sometimes we think oh we'll just do that story once and then that's it children like to hear the same one again and again yeah in my class it was always not now Bernard was a favorite <laughs> and little yeah. rabbit foo-foo yeah to so many uh, and, and, the and you're right. again and again I think the repetition of it I think actually works really well and and kind of adding your own enjoyment into it and kind of making it yours I suppose in a in a funny sort of way mm. so like um I used to always share with with my classes I used to share um where the wild things are oh, which I is one of my favorites one. yeah mm. so by Maurice Sendak mm. and it's a great book because actually it's been so beautifully written that there aren't that many words in it and yet it kind of just he uses the words so economically that he somehow manages to take you on this magical journey without using pages and pages of writing. Yes, and some he, of them have no just, writing. Yeah, it's just this sort of this. Um, um, I'm trying to think what the, the words of it. The, I remember the, the night Max wore his that's wool right, suit that's how it starts. and created mischief yes. of one kind and another. See, isn't that brilliant? His mother calls him <laughs> wild thing. Yeah. <laughs> but I remember it. And that's the other thing about story is it goes into your memory. Yeah. And you've not heard it for ages. No, absolutely. But it's I know there. it. And, but isn't that brilliant that with so few words that actually, you know, the, the night Max wore his wolf suit is just mm. such a great start that just takes you straight into it. Yes. And you think, okay, I'm going to find out about this. Yeah. And then there's a bit in the middle, which we used, I used to absolutely love, where, where he goes to the, the, where the wild things lived and they have this wild rumpus. The rumpus. Yeah. And, and it says, and now, said Max, that the wild rumpus start. Yes. And then they rumpus and they rumpus. And we used to do a little jig yes, with this rumpus. The wild and rumpus. they rumpus. And what a great word. And it's just fantastic. Rumpus. So that enjoyment of word and the mm. enjoyment of spoken language and vocabulary is yes. something that I think you're always teaching and you're teaching it through yes. story. And rumpus, when would we use that? Well, exactly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not really a word we would use yeah, a lot, yeah. but it's a great word, a wild rumpus. Yeah, isn't that, so it's just that, mm. that kind of sharing that passion for the written and the spoken word, mm. I think is, is one of those brilliant things, one of the best things you can do for your children. It and is. We're going to come on later on to talk about poetry and rhyme mm. and rhythm, and it kind of fits into it, that as well that, that real enjoyment where actually you know you haven't got children who kind of don't like poetry or aren't sure about books but they mm -hmm. see them as something that is really interesting oh, and really exciting yeah. and enjoyable My and they've got favorites to come back to i love story time telling stories to children yeah it was like one of my favorite times of the day yeah. was where you come together as that as that group and then enjoy the 
the story. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think that, again, is an important point, is that I think when you're sharing a story with your class and you know that you, you've got, you've absolutely, you've got the right story and mm. you've got the right moment in the day and they're absolutely all with you. What you've got there is a share, also a shared experience mm. that I think is really valuable too. This is yes. something that all children are all enjoying all at the same yes. point and they've got this shared experience together, something that they could go off and play with and kind of play about with, like we said before, we're within their play. But also it, you're creating this community of learners, aren't you? Where they, yes. they're all together all and we, together. we belong together as a, yeah. as a team that here. That is a really good you know, point, kind of thing. It sets the scene for that class yeah. group. It's like that family grouping and having these experiences together. And I would say that, you know, storytelling is foundations of literacy. Yeah. But it runs all the way through. It does. We wouldn't stop storytelling. Now we're on to, you know, the phonics scheme. This runs all the way through. It's a basic, but we can get really amazing at the basics because look at these fantastic authors. Yeah, They're exactly. just fantastic at the basics of storytelling. Exactly. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. So story and lots of stories lots and lots of, story. of enjoyment of Four stories. Four or five stories a day. And how I used to fit it in was when we came in the morning, we had transition. And then when we, it's like what you said, Andy, we come together mm. as a group and it was story. And that set the scene for the day. And it also set the scene for tuning into the teacher, uh, whoever's telling the story, the person telling the story and listening in mm. and watching. So you've got your auditory and your visual skills in there as well so it's developing lots of the the basics so we had morning gathering um then before we went to lunch you know because we'd gathered then we'd gone away mm. and then before lunch we came back as that group we had a story and then we went for lunch after lunch gathering as a group and a story and after lunch it was our stilling time and we all lay down for story and it was a story where without pictures and we used to imagine um and then it was story before home time so that's how I fitted it in it was at those where you're coming together as a class that's where we had story yeah. and it was an important transition point yes absolutely mm. Absolutely. And the story at the beginning of the day, that often set the scene because that might be the story that's linked to my literacy. And you know how you could set your class up where there's things to do with that story, you know, those wow provocation moments. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it you can fit it in. It seems maybe... It's doable. Oh, I can't do four or five stories. No, no, I've sure. got all of this to do. You can do it. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And to be honest as well, I think if we're valuing it, we have to then fit it in. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. I think it's about actually what are we prioritising really? It, and yes, for a school, is. say if, as for many schools at the moment, when I work with schools and settings and we talk about actually the needs of the children on entry, it's very, very common in this sort of post-pandemic time where actually we know the needs of the children right up and down the country are around communication and language mm. and around personal, social and emotional needs and so actually story is is a great way of particularly around communication and language as we've said of mm. supporting those skills and so I think we've got to make sure that actually what we're saying the needs of the children are 
and what our practice is fits together. Absolutely, because if we've got these gaps in learning and mm. particularly gaps in communication and language, well, there's loads of evidence. There's DFE documents about mm. closing the language gap is through four or five stories a day. Yeah. And if you're then saying, oh, I haven't got time for four and five stories a day, I've got to do this. Actually, it's counterproductive. Yes, absolutely. Because actually the research shows to close the language gap four or five stories yes. is um, a really good thing to do. Yes, absolutely. And then you're not doing it because I've got to fit this in. <laughs> we ought to say, actually, there is a great Department for Education document called The Reading Framework, Teaching the Foundations of Literacy. It is, Andy. That lots of yes. this is in, isn't it's it? In you know, So when document. we're not kind of going completely off on a tangent it's and saying there. something that actually isn't out there, no, it's, it's there for people to it access. It is. It's in a DFE document mm. um, all about... It's called The Foundations of Literacy yeah. and everything that we're talking about today... It's in there. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So, yeah, I think if people want to read up more, I certainly would recommend going back mm. to that document. I think yeah, it's, it's good. It's, it's good Sometimes stuff. we forget about these documents that are, or we might not know about them. We don't always know. I mean, there's there's such mm. a lot out there, isn't there? Mm. Um, but, um, and sometimes, you know, they they are brought out at a particular time when people are busy and, and so on. Absolutely. And it can, they can pass us yes. by. I get all of that. But certainly that that particular document is well worth looking up and well worth mm. going back to because it's it was from 2022, I think. Yes. And then I there's so, a year another or so ago. one that's out as well, kind of like, Part two yeah. is also out now. Was it a cliffhanger? Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's a really useful but document. Yeah, useful stuff. Mm. Useful stuff. Okay, let's let's leave story behind. Yes. Okay. And then let's move on to the curveball area, yeah. which is physical development. I okay. Know. Not an area, of course, that many people would necessarily fit with talking about early phonics. Yeah. But it's valid. I think it it's absolutely valid. It absolutely so tell is. us about physical development then yes. and the importance so of it. So this is really interesting. And I came um, across this just by chance, really. So um, probably about 20 years ago now in the school I was working at, the um, Senko, hmm. um, I was talking to her because I was like really interested in the role and what it kind of involved. And she was showing me one of the assessments she does with the children where she gets them to pick up a telescope and then hold it to their eye. And it was to check for whether the child has got, um, you know, they can got cross lateral, they can sort of like go from the right to the left, left to the right. So she um, did it with me. So I picked it up with my right hand and I put it to my right eye and my right eye was shut. So I put it <laughs> to the eye that was closed. And I thought, well, that's really yeah. bizarre. Why have I done that? Yeah. <laughs> so Chris was explaining to me all about kind of like being, you know, dom dominant eyes, dominant hands, and this like cross lateral thing. Yeah, yeah. And then um, I just happened to be on some training with Elaine Cowley, oh, who yes. did a project yeah. in Leicestershire on movement in early childhood. And it was all about that and primitive re reflexes and what happens if you've got retained primitive reflexes. Um, I'll just, um, primitive reflexes. So what that is, a reflex is an involuntary movement. So you can't help it. It just happens. You've got no control over it. You know, like when the doctor taps your knee and you yeah. need to <laughs> or, or like a sneeze or, you know, yes, someone, kind of if thing. you touch a hot pan, your hand moves away. Yes, yeah, yeah. Something goes in and you blink, you know, something's coming towards your eyes. So it's um, an involuntary movement. The 
the primitive reflexes, it's a like an evolutionary thing. It's got evolutionary benefits. So one of them is called the palmer reflex, where if something touches the palm, the fingers grasp around. Yes. And that's for, you know, when we were apes and we got fur, holding on to mummy's fur. Yeah. So, you know, and that's got that's got a benefit. We're not going to fall off hurt ourselves so primitive reflexes uh, have got evolutionary benefit and when we go from kind of you know being prone on the floor to being able to stand and walk re reflexes are switched off as we develop but sometimes things go wrong and the reflexes are not switched off so that's kind of like um what primitive reflexes are and all of this thing where I've like got this telescope and I've put it to the to the wrong eye and stuff, and I got interested in it and then interested with this um, training from Elaine. And I spoke to my mum about my development as a child, and I never crawled. Interesting. And actually, yeah, I went from sort of like sitting to standing to walking, and my mum thought that was great. And I was like really advanced. But it turns out that crawling... <laughs> Is really... you're the only mum with a tiny baby that just walked in? <laughs> just just like, yeah, here we are, a mother and baby group. <laughs> yes. Where's your baby? Oh, here they are walking. now, just wandering in. <laughs> <laughs> but crawling is really important for kind of cross-lateral. <laughs> so because I never crawled, I've actually got a primitive reflex that hasn't is still retained. So I've got this asymmetric thing going on wow. where yeah. my my left side and my right side and like my top and the bottom parts of my body kind of like work the same and it actually has impacts on like literacy skills reading and writing and I've seen this in my class where children are writing but they can't write across the page and their writing goes down mm. because they can't cross the midline and I was like gosh that was kind of like that's what I had going on I've I don't cross the midline. I've got all of these like weird things happening that I've got no control over. Yeah. And so I just got really interested in primitive reflexes and the impact that it has on children's um, learning if they've got these retained um, reflexes. Yes. And then I got interested in kind of like um, the vestibular system, which is all about balance, proprioception, yeah. which is all about kind of like your spatial awareness and knowing where where your body is and it's all linked yeah. to um acquisition of like reading and and writing i really i couldn't believe it and my brother he was the same he never crawled and my brother is absolutely so dyslexic and there's a Isn't lot of interesting? research out yeah. there about the primitive reflexes and dyslexia uh, it's like really, really fascinating. And then as I got to know about it and I'm looking at children in my class, I'm like picking out children. It's like, oh my gosh, they're W sitters. Yeah. They've got a retained um, symmetrical tonic neck reflex. They're having these uh, difficulties with, you know, kind of like with literacy. Could it be because they've got this retained reflex? Like, let's have a look at how we can switch that reflex off. And then we found that children, you know, by looking at the primitive reflexes and then looking at how we can switch those off, children started to make the progress. Yeah. Um, and we did all of these interventions. As soon as like we're seeing, you know, when children are coming in that first term and we're seeing all of these things with movement, children that can't hold themselves up on the carpet. And, you know, after a few minutes, they're starting to fall over because they haven't got that core strength or they can't balance. They can't stand on one leg and balance. 
right, let's let's do stuff to sort that out and support their physical development. We did all that the first half term, and then all of a sudden they're yeah. They start to make the progress. Yeah. No, absolutely. There must be a link. Yeah, no, well, there is, isn't there? I mean, and it's why, of course, that the physical development is one of the prime areas. Mm. You know, so when we when we have our framework, of course, where we have uh, the prime areas of, of, of learning, we've got communication and language in there, and we've got personal, social and emotional development, and then, of course, physical development, they're there because actually they underpin the learning across the, all of those other yes. areas and physical development does. It absolutely And so is. I think I, it always puzzles me that actually we've got that as a prime area and we know that and it should be, but that actually we don't, I don't think we talk enough about the importance of physical yes, development in underpinning it, everything yeah, else. How it underpins literacy. Yeah. Yeah. Why would you maybe like make the connection it's only just be because of Chris at the, the yeah. school and because I got on Elaine's training that I found out about it. And then, um, like Elaine said, you know, how much do we value um, movement in the early years? And we have the stuff that's outside, but where are children able to develop movement inside? And, you know, when you've got children that are kind of like swinging on the back of chairs, they're doing it for a reason because their body needs it. Yeah. So where can I create an opportunity for them to get that sensation inside or yes. outside? So yeah, you're yeah. going with the grain instead of against the grain? Yes. If you know what I mean? No, absolutely. I mean, the other thing to say as well is that, that often I think we find it easier to remember things because of the movements involved. Mm. You know, when we are physically active, actually that helps us to embed that learning process and so you know a song with actions or you know all of yes. whatever it might be it helps us to remember it because we're remembering it with the action yes and those <clears throat> um songs like your traditional mm. songs have got left side right side kind of you know like that bilateral movement mm. um and that's that's what you need to switch these primitive reflexes off. The sides of the body need to be able to work independent of yeah. each other. Um, it's a very fascinating subject. There's a lady called Charlotte Davies yes. who has fit to learn. If anyone wants to find out more about this, have a look at the work that Charlotte's doing. Yes. It's um, yeah. really it's, it's an area that I think is is fascinating because it's, it's one of those areas, a bit like you were saying, where once you start to really delve into it, you realise how much you don't know about so much yeah. that is there, that is important. And, and as soon as you do start to read up on it or kind of go along to training or whatever it might be on, on different reflexes and all of the different things that you mentioned, you start to remember certain children or or, or make links with certain children that you've got in your class at the moment that you think, oh, actually, yes, of course. Yes. Yeah, they're struggling to cross that yes. midline. Andy, one of the, the things um, to look out for is how children sit on chairs. And you know how, mm. you know, we want children to be able to sit on the chair and sit at the table. But sometimes if you've got um, a primitive reflex that has not been inhibited, the... Um, symmetrical tonic neck reflex, that when um, their arms kind of like move, you know, the elbows move in, their legs stretch out. It's to go from kind of like when you're yeah. in that kind of like table position to go from the floor to being able to stand up, pushing your legs out, pushing your arms out. So the teacher will correct them and because you end up slouching. Yeah. 
um, the teacher will correct and move their feet closer to the, the chair, but then their arms they will just want to stretch. stretch out. Yeah, yeah. So your arms stretch out, your feet come in. Or the other way around. <laughs> yeah, the other way yeah, around. Yeah. And so, but because it's a reflex and it's involuntary, they can't help it. Yeah. You can't stop it. But there's certain exercises that we can do to switch that reflex yeah. off. So it's about understanding it, noticing it, and then... Yeah, and then responding and then responding. Effectively. Yeah. And Elaine Cowley spoke about being um, mind-free. And if your brain, um, the part of your brain that's um, responsible for like movement, that's like a basic part yeah. of your brain. If that basic part of your brain is still concentrating on knowing where the limbs are, even like holding the core up, holding the head up, if it's still concentrating on that, it can't be concentrating on like, you know, all of like stuff in, in your frontal lobe that yeah. you need because it's working on basics. And Elaine used an analogy of learning to drive a car. And at the beginning, you're having to really think about clutch, gears, you know, all of that mirror signal maneuver. You've really got to concentrate, haven't you? Yeah. You can't have any distractions. But then all of a sudden, you're doing that all automatic and you can listen to the radio, sing along to songs because your body is just doing it and it's become mind free. Whereas when I was first learning to drive a car, there's no way I could be singing along to No, you, you need to focus. Yeah, I've yeah. got to really focus. And you're right, it's the same with children, isn't it? That, yes. that actually if they if they are struggling to sit or they're struggling to do, you know, to focus or to have that attention mm. or whatever it might be, that is going to be the thing that dominates. Yeah. You know, that's the you know, it's all I somebody said to me once, um, this is another trainer years ago, said to me that you have to remember that with human beings, it's our greatest need that dominate. Yeah. So, so, you know, so if you're, so if you're coming into school and you're hungry, for example, yes. or if you're coming into school and, and you're, you're finding it difficult to sit still or whatever, you're that greatest need, whatever that might be, that's dominating our yes. whole attention. Yeah. You know, what, you know, if you need to go to the toilet, that's your greatest mm. need. You see, you see what I mean? It's that kind that dominates. You can't think of something else yes. when there is that great need that's top of the list. Yeah. And so you, it's, and it fits very much with this because actually you do have to deal with those other issues, the physical mm. issues or whatever it might be, in order to really get to the, the effective learning, don't you? Yeah. Which is why, yeah, going yes. full circle was, is why it's a prime area. I was reading um, some articles all about um, like movement in early childhood and there was a thing about the vestibular system, which is all about like balance. And it was saying that children that have got issues with their balance system um they you know find it difficult to distinguish between b's d's p's q's and it's like what how <laughs> well, how yeah. does that work and it's like gosh that's unbelievable you know when you're delivering that you know um sound cards lots and lots and the child isn't kind of like picking it up they they can't seem to remember yeah. it they're not learning it could it be that actually there's something to do with physical development going on there that if we look to exercises to support development of the vestibular system then they maybe start yeah. to recognize the differences in these letters it's there's a lot to it there's lots day. to it we can't really do it justice within just sort of one section within but something else can we but, really... it's, but it's, it's really important i think if 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 what we've been saying 
on this has got you thinking or maybe sort of made you think about particular children in the class. Mm. There's a lot out there that's well worth looking into. We've, I've recorded a podcast with um, Helen Hawes, all about, who is an expert on physical development, works with lots of schools around, just specifically around physical development. Mm. And, and as Nikki said earlier on, there are lots of other people out there who, who work around yes. this specifically. Yeah. And it's well worth looking into because yes. it could just be the thing that actually it unlocks could, the potential of those be. children. It's really, really fascinating. And when you think of like physical development and phonics, you might be thinking of like fine motor and the letter control, you know, uh, control to write the letters. But actually there's loads more. And it might be something like really basic that they can't attend in the lesson because actually their brain is still concentrating on just holding the, the body up. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Really fascinating. I love this subject. Yeah, no, interesting and stuff. And it's because it affects me because I've got this kind of <laughs> with your amazing not crawling <laughs> process. But I find it with them um, because I've got my horse riding lessons and the instructor will be saying, turn your toes in. And then as I turn my toes in, my hands then turn in and then she'll say move your hands out and then my <laughs> and it's like oh I can't help it I can't control my body so I'm like oh I have to look up some exercises to yeah. switch this uh, reflex mm-hmm. off but yeah really really interesting stuff interesting uh, yeah. okay right so physical development ticked off yes which brings us on to our final point mm-hmm. which is music rhythm and rhyme Okay, yes. music, rhythm, and rhyme. We've, we touched on poetry a little bit earlier on, of course, really important. Tell us about music, rhythm, and rhyme then. Why is that important? Yes, and I think this is um, something that seems to have disappeared from the early years classroom. Yeah. I remember, you know, yeah. when I first I went into teaching, there was loads of, like, we had, like, whole sessions on singing and those, like, old-fashioned circle songs. And it seems to have just, like, disappeared which is a real shame because actually the music and the song and all of this rhythm links into language because language is rhythmic yeah and for children to have a sense of you know like the cadences of you know when you read a story and how the language kind of like you know like flows and has that rhythm you acquire that through music Music is one of like the basic methods of communication, isn't it? Absolutely. And there's yeah. such a lot within that, isn't there? You know, in terms of, say, listening skills. Absolutely. Again, differentiating yes. sound and listening for the different sounds so that, yes. you know, you know when actually the, the singing starts or when it stops or, what you know, whatever yes. it might be, listening for sounds. Yeah. Um, it could be about... Um, about new vocabulary as part of a song. There's such a lot there that actually is really important, isn't there? memory. Let's see if you know this one. You do the shake and back. (laughs) Freshness back. (laughs) See, see, all that does is show show people how old I am. (laughs) (laughs) But you remember When did you last hear that advert? At least 40 years ago, probably. (laughs) But you remember it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So music and song helps with memory yes you know you yeah, can yeah. hear hear those words of the shake and back advert you know it you could probably sing the whole advert and that's the power of music and song and we need children to have a great auditory memory for um learning to um read it's a massive part of um phonics you know how children have got to blend sounds together this is like yeah. auditory memory yeah, yeah. Where uh, talking about here so if they've got to blend three sounds together they need to be able to remember those three sounds 
in the correct order. If they can't do that, they can't blend them. Yeah. It might be that they can only remember the last sound or they can only remember the first sound that you've said. They can't remember all three. They can't blend them together because they haven't got the auditory memory skills. And you might be repeating the same like phonics lesson again and again and again. Oh, these children can't blend. We need to keep repeating this lesson. But repeating the lesson isn't going to help because it's not working on developing auditory memory. We need to do other activities to help with auditory yeah. memory. On the um, you know the baseline that we'll all be doing at this point in time, the, all that language and communication, the questions, it's there. We could, you know, you're assessing for auditory memory. I can't remember the exact question, but you know where um, you ask the child to point to, I don't know, point to the man, then point to the That's dog. I right. can't yeah. remember the exact question. Yeah, yeah. That's auditory memory. It is. A child that can't remember or you say oh can you you know you're playing with the farm or can you pass me the horse and pass me the dog they can pass you the dog but they can't pass you yeah. the horse because they've forgotten you've said horse yeah and, support, and supporting struggle. them through that process of remembering remembering a song or remembering the words to a song and mm. all of those sorts of things will help with that and it provide will. a kind of a rich tapestry don't yes. because it's not just that it's all of those other skills involved in it too yes. um, from listening to using our voices develop even <clears throat> just developing control over mm. using our voices mm. and our vocal range yeah. it's so important isn't it yes. when you're talking about again going back to communication and language we have children quite often children will, will come into school without the confidence to have a go Mm. at speaking mm. you know because actually they they find they they are not not confident with the sounds that they can make mm. you know with with their own with their own um vocal cords and their and their muscles with, uh, and them uh, and their mouth that actually they're finding that difficult yes it really helps and with that articulation absolutely of sounds and articulation of words mm. And you've got that rhythm, that steady beat. And there's studies as well out there, Andy, all about the connection of um, being able to keep a steady beat and success with literacy as well. Yeah. There's loads of eyes. So really, really interesting. Really interesting. So I, I think my, my challenge to people would be, a bit like we said earlier on with, um, uh, with stories, how many, how many rhymes... How many poems? How many mm. action rhymes? Yeah. Uh, how many songs do your children know? Yes. I would be personally from a, from right at the very start of the year onwards. Mm -hmm. I would be building up a bank of poems, rhymes, songs, songs with actions, and all of those other things mm. that I would know off by heart. My staff, the rest of my mm. team, would know off by heart, and my children would know off by heart. So that actually, year, week, week on week, we're adding to this collection where we yes. might have, say, 20 or more yes. songs, and rhymes, and poems week, that we you, know. You need to learn a different rhyme, a different song, a different poem. Absolutely. Learn something new and, each week. My class, I used to teach to them the Jabberwocky. Yeah, brilliant. And they could recite the entire Jabberwocky and recite it with, you know, intonation and with expression. Um, and that's an EY class. Yeah, absolutely. There's a high expectation. It is about normal, high expectations, just isn't it? Normal EY class. Yeah. But they knew the Jabberwocky yeah. off by heart. Yes. And another thing, good thing about um, song, and especially the, you know, songs with actions. 
supports with vocabulary and understanding vocabulary. So um, what I've observed in my own practice and what I observe in other people's practice is when you're doing like letter formation and you're saying go up straight and down straight. Do you know what, Andy? Some children do not know what up is, what down is. They don't know what straight is. That sounds like you can't believe that, but yeah. it's true. Mm. Some children, they don't have that vocabulary, but through song and movement and you're doing it with your body, then you can teach it. You know, the grand old Duke of York. Exactly. When they were Perfect up, they were up. Yeah. When they were down, they were down. And you can go up and down with your body. Yeah. The children are doing it, marching forwards in a straight line, then marching back down that straight yeah. line. That's handwriting of practice. It is. Yeah, yeah. Here we go round the mulberry bush, round. And the children are going round. Yeah. So that is handwriting practice. People won't think that's handwriting yeah, practice. Yeah, people don't necessarily make that connection, no, but I think actually it practice. is. And yes. that even just that that sort of control uh, control of their own bodies through using songs yes. and rhymes and actions, yes. it all helps. Yes. It you really does right all help. You put your hands in, you put your left hands yeah. in, all of that, and then you've got that bilaterality. It can all be taught mm. through circle songs. I mean, you know, this was like bread and butter practice That's years the thing. ago. I th and, and it must yeah. have been for a reason. It does feel a bit like sometimes, you know, as, as somebody who's delivering training, it sometimes feels like I'm banging a bit of a drum in terms <laughs> yes. of, in terms of, you know, like using rhyme and song and poetry and all of those fantastic things. Mm. And I can kind of see people thinking, well, when would I fit it in? But again, a bit like I said earlier on, I think actually, if, you're, if the needs of your children are around those early literacy skills and that you're finding it difficult in terms of the scheme, to really to really develop those skills, then actually you've got to look beyond the scheme and you've got to look at actually the stories, you've got to look at the rhymes, you've got to look yes, at their physical development. development. You've got to look at that bigger picture, I think. Yeah. Otherwise, really some children will be destined to stay yeah. just in that in that kind of group yes, of because strugglers. You've not, really. you've not kind of noticed that they've got um auditory memory issue mm. or like a visual discrimination issue where they can't quite tell you know those that are same different and almost the same and because you've not spent time looking closely and observing and talking about same yes. different almost the same they can't they can't do it mm. plus they might have something you know no, absolutely. with the vestibular system as well but there's all of these like little basics that seem to have been lost and we need to bring that back in but it needs to run all year not just that kind of phase one mentality where I've done phase one I've done it for so many weeks that it's like recommended yeah. now it stops and there onto you know this bit it continues all the way through children need to have the listening skills auditory attention auditory discrimination auditory memory the visual skills, so, you know, visual attention, visual discrimination. They need the language. They need the imagination, Andy, because mm. if we, you know, because the goal is, you know, we want them to be creative writers and they need the ideas. So that comes from the story and going off and having experiences. Yeah. Going off into the woodland, climbing a tree, going on adventures, finding treasure. Yeah. 
And the experiences underpin all that process, they don't they? Need the and so again, we've got to make time for that. And I know mm. it is time consuming to go out and to, you know, you've it takes a lot of doing sometimes mm. to organize might be parent helpers or whoever, you know, whatever you've got to get done. Yeah. I get that that's hard. Yes. But for some children who don't mm. really yeah. have that breadth of experiences, yes. they are already at at a at a you know a, a deficit really they because are. because they're they're going to struggle to have the imagination and to they have to have the imaginative responses that other children will have mm. so yeah i think getting out there is one of the best things you can do yes yeah. and that's my take time make time absolutely. and in no time you save time yeah yeah it do, yeah absolutely <laughs> on all of that bread and butter early years practice yeah that's what we need to focus on we want the children to exceed we've got these high expectations my children were all in the phonics groups but I made sure that we'd got basics and I was using my baseline to identify it spending time with the children watching and trying to understand where these children are developmentally and then planning my curriculum to support them yeah um and you know we achieved amazing stuff but these basics ran all the way yeah. through so yes so Headlines, in terms of the headlines of our mm -hmm. conversation, of course, keep going with your scheme. Of Absolutely. course, keep keep, mm. keep plugging away at what you need to do as part of that scheme. But think broadly, think beyond that as well, because you will have, I guarantee it, within any early years classroom, there will be children, many children, if not all of your children, who will absolutely benefit from that broader approach of yeah. really making sure that actually you've got those physical development needs yes. sorted, really making sure that you've got that broad and rich access to story and mm -hmm. rhyme and songs and songs with actions and so on. And that alongside that, you're really focusing in on listening, the listening skills and, mm. and that um, and really focusing on actually what does that look like to be an effective listener? Yes. And are we modeling that? Are all of our adults modeling that? And so there's such a lot there to really think oh, about. Oh, there's and, a lot. And, and it's and an ongoing thing. It is ongoing. Andy, can I just say that these, you know, if you do spot that children have got issues, say, like with auditory discrimination, auditory memory, um, you know, things like physical mm. as well, that it doesn't have to be, you know, removing the child from provision to do an intervention. No, absolutely. It's looking at how you can use um, resources in your classroom to develop the, yeah. the, the skills absolutely. that they need. Can I mention a, an amazing resource that we Far have away. got at of Astrea? It's called Launchpad for Literacy. Okay. It was developed by Kirsty Page, who was a speech mm -hmm. and language therapist. She became a teacher and then realised that there's actually a massive gap in um, our knowledge about yes. how speech and language is acquired. And she's developed this, um, an approach. That's what it is. It's an approach. It's not intervention. It is an approach. It's called Launchpad. We're using it in Astrea. It's absolutely fabulous. And it's got everything that we've spoken about today um, in a lot of detail and much more as well. Yeah. But fantastic resource to have in your classroom. Wow. No, it sounds brilliant. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I certainly think that depth is what people need. Yes. Without a doubt. Mm. Without a doubt. Um, Nikki, it has been fantastic to talk Thank to you. you. I feel like we've put the world to rights <laughs> on, on early phonics yes. and uh, and all and of a that bit of stuff. Singing. Yeah, a bit of singing, <laughs> bit of bit of rhyme, bit of poetry, yeah. and where the wild things are as well. Yeah. All good. So yeah, thank you so much <laughs> for joining you. us. 
So there you go. Thank you very much to Nikki Turner for joining us for this week's episode of the podcast. Certainly lots there to, uh, to get everybody thinking and get everybody talking about early literacy and early phonics skills there. Really interesting stuff. Um, now, if early literacy is a real priority for you in your school or in your setting, then um, you, there are lots of courses, lots of early excellence courses that I think you would definitely find useful. So there are courses on mark making to writing, those early writing skills. There are also courses on literacy, early literacy skills, on communication and language, and in fact, all sorts of key areas of practice. What we'll do is we'll put the link um, in the podcast information so you can access it there. Um, Or you can also go onto the Early Excellence website, earlyexcellence.com to find out more information about the training that we offer. Okay, that's about it for this week, everybody. Thank you very much for listening. And we'll see you next week. Have a good week. Bye-bye.